The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. We didn't wreck the marriage. We're just just picking up the pieces, right? This is what we do. We fix mistakes. It's a mistake, and like you said, we're coming in to, to fix it. Yeah, a lot of mistakes leading up to the biggest mistake. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, good day, good everything. Uh, You're listening to It's a Mistake, the Boston Divorce Show. I am your host, Attorney Matthew Barak, and sitting with me is the lovely, the, the stupendous, the unbelievably princess of the probate court, the one and only attorney, Kirsten DeMoga. Thank you. What an introduction. I'm trying. The more shows we do, the better the introduction <laughs> uh, will become. So hopefully okay. people are listening right. to this. They'll be curious. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you listen, you'll continue to get a better introduction okay. each, like each week. Uh, we're talking about our favorite topic, which is divorce. Or marriage annihilation, and <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I just I came like up that. with that one. Right that's pretty good, right? Right head? off the top yeah, of my head. I like that. And we're, we we cover topics on family law and divorce, and we try to have a, a good time, and we look at what's in the news and divorce and uh, family law, and we talk about things like alimony and child support and and other stuff. So, what's happening today, Kirsten? Today, it's. Just another day settling cases and being in several different courts and making it happen. How, how's uh, Cato going? Cato's going good. It's good? Still good? Still strong, still good, yeah. Yeah, what, what's for lunch today? I haven't decided yet when we leave oh, here. Really? You're going to decide gonna, lunch afterwards? It's going to be keto. Keto lunch? Yeah. Well, what, what types of things can you have for lunch, Cato? Uh, no. Well, you could actually, it's exciting, you can go to like a Chipotle. Chipotle's good. Yeah, you could have like the salad Are bowl. you worried about getting salmonella or any of those things? That they have? <laughs> I'm willing to risk it. You're going to risk it. It's what, so what would you eat at Chipotle? I would get the salad with chicken and salsa, a little bit of guacamole. Mm, sounds good. Maybe some cheese. Cheese. You can have cheese on this. You can have cheese. Okay. Yeah. You should try it. Low, low carb? Yeah. Yeah. What about sour cream? You could. Really? Yep. That's kind of fattening. It's, it's good. It, but fats, fat the burns fat. Fat burns fat, huh? Yep. And how many, this has been day what? I don't know. We're in 20. Like 20, yeah. 20, day 20 or so? Yeah. Huh. I'll let you know how it's, it goes. It's working? Yeah. Are you still drinking a lot of wine? or No. No? Tequila. Uh, no, no tequila. <laughs> is that allowed in her keto? Keto, whatever Sort of. Sort of? But wine has a lot of sugar in it. Oh. So you can't have wine? You're not supposed. You're not supposed to drink alcohol at like, all. Got, like you know, on any diet. Right. But so why can you have tequila? You can have tequila, vodka. You know, it's it's. It's allowed. So, it's <laughs> you not, can have vodka. There's not a lot of carbs. Oh, I see. You so see what a, I'm saying? It's a low carb uh, yeah. drink. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. With a little soda water. It's a little soda water. Not exciting, but. All right. And, and when last we, we we spoke, you you lost your keys. Yeah. You found your keys. Yeah. Much better. All right. Much so better day today. Yeah. How many How many bags are you? Last time, Today, it was only one. Only one bag? Yeah. All right, good. Streamlined. You got streamlined things. Exactly. Do you maybe just get like a big, big bag. Is that what you have? I just have too much stuff. Too much stuff? Too many places. I thought you were doing... What's too that, many things. What's that crazy thing you were doing? Wait, crazy. The, that, that thing that you watched on Netflix that you started... Oh, condo. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So well, if, you've got, <laughs> why, if you're condoing everything, then <laughs> why would you have condo. five... Then why would you lose your keys the other day? 
That has nothing. To, the, the keys were in the place. I told you. Yeah, I but, but, forgot right. about them. Right, but you had to five, get them. Well, but I'm confused. You had five bags. Wait, but I know where my stuff is. But your condo, you condo. Know, isn't the whole thing with that condo? No, no, to, no, no, no. That's organization of right, your space so that space. you know what you oh. can take with you. <laughs> it sounds like you organized your space and you took everything with you <laughs> with the five bags, and that's why you left the keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's easy to be a man. You don't have as much stuff. It is. It is easy to be a man. Do you, do you prefer to represent men or women in your divorce cases? I don't want to say. You don't want to say it publicly? Discrim- you don't want to be discriminatory? <laughs> no. You represent both? Absolutely. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> I. I do represent both gladly. Yes, happily. So I will, I will say happily, that un- un- yeah. unequivocally. Yes. So, what's it, so tell me more about this con. This oh, Marie Kondo? Yeah, go, tell me more. Well, it's a Japanese style of of organizing things and it's not just uh, it's tidying up she calls it but it's like you got instead of you know let's say you do spring cleaning and you clean you know your closet or one room you're supposed to take everything in a category like all the clothes you have everywhere in your house and put them in one pile one pile. For me, it would be that, that, to the. Could you get into the room after you piled it up? <laughs> exactly. It was the Barely. fire. Was the fire then, department called to get the, you out of the yeah, pile exactly. that you piled up? And then you take. You only keep what she calls sparks joy. So you have to feel the feeling. <laughs> like of the in the pile. Like you just take the shirt out and you say, "Does this spark joy?" What if every single item in the big pile sparks joy? It probably doesn't. No. It's highly unlikely. Okay. So and you, then you get rid of it. You don't. You just thank it. You say thanks, blue thanks shirt, for, for being there thanks for, for me through thick and thin. You say goodbye to it. But I, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> so really? Yeah. Is that sad to do? Or it is, but but is it, look at it like it served its purpose. Okay. Just like kind of. So is it new, two? Let me let me follow. Is it two piles? No. Just well, one. then it can go into. Give away, keep, okay. but you could also do like if you were going to sell and consignment, or like a purgatory or give category. to a family. <laughs> but you don't want to get too in the weeds there because then people, it's like okay. I might wear this shirt with seventeen holes in it to wash my car in two weeks, but no, you're not going to just throw it away, give okay. it away. So big pile, mother pile, and, yeah. you, and you did this, and you go through it. Yeah, it takes a long time. Are you still doing it? Because <laughs> you've been talking about. It um, well, you go through each thing, like you go through clothes. How long through. was it the pile stand in the middle of your house? <laughs> a while. A it while. took like a whole weekend to do. A whole weekend? Yeah. And, and do you feel better because you... Oh, much better. Really? I feel great. I think everybody should... Do this? Do Mar- the Marie Kondo method. Yes. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a plug. It's not a plug. <laughs> no. Another not plug. <laughs> no. Okay. Just something that's going to make you feel better. All right. And you, and you feel better? Much. All right. Can you do the same thing in your marriage? That's what I was going to say. You know, I wonder if it's... You know, I think people do that with, you know, houses, things. I always say, don't you just want a fresh start? I mean, if we're not talking about Picassos or some kind of antique or very, you know, something that can never be reproduced, just get rid of it. Stuff holds energy, you know? Yeah, I could, I could, I could see that. And you know how people fight over that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that it's well, decluttering working. is, is yeah. a good thing to do. Yeah, you know, I mean, when people come in and they have to, I always tell them, you know, bring the pertinent documents <laughs> and don't worry about the rest. There's only so much space that we have. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I was reading that um, you know marriage rates have been declining steadily since the 1980s. What do you think of that? It's true. And, and divorce rates are actually slightly down too. Down. Yeah. 
They're slightly down. Uh, maybe the economy. You think it's the economy? Yeah. How so? Well, I think it's just when people are doing well, I think people are naturally a little bit happier. Well, they say that millennials are As not, far as the divorce rate down, but yeah. the marriage is a different thing. Yeah. Marriage rate has, has been going down. This person did, did a study and they, they said that it sort of it was interesting. It was a, a graph. It seems the as the marriage rate falls, the divorce rate falls. Which I found was interesting. Wow. I mean, it seems counterintuitive in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I guess people just don't, I think, like anything, trending away towards more conservative and people want to live sort of in these... Uh, there's some study <laughs> that I read that millennials want to live in like a, almost like a dorm type of living. Yeah, like communal you know, Like community living, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, they say that millennials are less likely to get married than other generational groups at this period of time. But I, I, I wonder, as millennials get older, if, if they'll just marry later in life, which is interesting because the, the divorce rate sort of tracks the age of uh, when you get married, too. But the, but the age rates are going up, too. Yeah. Well, the older you are, the older you are when you get married, the less chance that you'll get married. <laughs> There's not that much time. <laughs> There's we'll not much time about. left because you'll die first. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, but I always thought there was a chance. No, it's no, no. It was true. Like, the younger you are when you get married, of course. the more likely the, the statistics sort of skew against yeah. the longevity of your marriage. Of course. Do you think when they legalize gambling in Massachusetts <laughs> that you can bet on people's marriages? Would that be something that you'd look into doing? I think that'd be interesting. That's interesting. I don't know. Probably against public policy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very lawyerly answer. Yeah, yeah. I thought it'd be interesting, right? Yeah. Like bet. famous people? What do you famous people? Your neighbor. <laughs> Your mailman. <laughs> Your supervisor at work. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, whatever. yeah. You, you don't like that idea. No. No, you're not into that. No, going to be positive. No, because you're positive. Cato, condo. Keto. Is there any other, like, one word no. things <laughs> yeah, that that's you're, right. you're doing Keto, right now condo, in your life no. that we should know about? Two is enough. No. Two? Yeah. Two is enough. Well, it's time for our pepper and onion. Oh. Yeah. Where's the uh, David? There we go. <laughs> oh, I love that. Sounds you just that like sizzling? it. Sizzling. It's just like it. Yeah. So do you like want to do peppers or onions today on your... On your uh, Peppers. Peppers. Yeah. peppers. I don't like onions. All right. So no onions today. We'll no just onions. go straight peppers. So yeah. I thought we'd talk about my book. Okay. I thought I should plug the book. We've, we've had a couple podcasts. So this is actually a plug. This is actually a, a, a <laughs> no plug. joke. No joke. <laughs> free advertising. <This> free advertising. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going to be plugging it a lot in the next couple of weeks. So I thought we'd practice. Okay. So I thought you could interview me. Like okay. We'd switch. Sure. So, okay. So here, you, okay. I'm going to give you the book. No, no, All right. Sure, so sure. this, this, Beautiful book, your um, first foray into <laughs> authorship and writing <laughs> yes. called The Family Law Guide to Appellate Practice. And this okay. would be a good time for David. Like, we'll get him to, like, put take a picture of the book oh. and then put it up. Yeah. Okay. Be great. All right. Uh, so tell me, how did you – how did this come about? Well, you know, family law is very different than other areas of, of the law. And I think that's because – we're dealing with people's most intimate treasures and their most intimate uh, personalities, and we're dealing with people in a very emotional uh, state. And I think that what we what that leads to is that 
unlike other areas of the law, the people's relationships and the facts of their relationships bring out sort of unique uh, issues. And interestingly enough, uh, most people do not appeal the adverse divorce judgment. And, and that you know, makes sense for a number of reasons. And there's been many, many books written about appellate practice over the years, but there's never had been a book written about uh, appellate practice for a family law attorney. So I felt that there was a gap in the information base uh, to help a practitioner or to help a uh, pro se litigant who may want to seek filing an appeal uh, in a family law matter. And so that's why I wrote this guide. So why do you think that is, that people don't tend to appeal in family law matters? I think that there are a number of reasons. I think that one is cost. Uh, two is the broad discretion that probate court judges are afforded by appellate courts. I think that is a little bit unique in the sense that these cases are so fact-driven and they tend to be in front of a single um, jurist. There's no juries. There's usually not multiple judges hearing different things. They're usually in, in front of one person, the two warring factions in a divorce. The husband and wife are in front of one judge from the beginning of the case to the end. I, I think that appellate courts understand that and they want to give as much discretion to allow uh, judges that are sort of on the front lines uh, to make a decision. And I think because of that, I think the standard, I think, is generally the bar is higher in a family law case to uh, appeal a matter. And then the other thing, too, is there are other avenues for um, seeking an appeal, which I go to in great detail in the Family Guide, Law Guide to Appellate Practice, which can be found on the uh, American Bar Association's website. We, there are other avenues to not appeal. You can file a um, modification action if you're talking about things with children. So something changes, maybe you don't file an appeal, but maybe in the future you file a modification. There are post-trial remedies. So for example, if there's a mistake in a judgment, sometimes you can have the judge go to the judgment and correct it. You know, if they gave the wrong car uh, to someone or they gave the house to the wrong person and it's sort of a mistake of fact that can be easily corrected. So a lot of times there are other ways to uh, fix a judgment rather than do an expensive appeal with long odds of success. So can you give us an example of, you know, an discretion, courts using their discretion and that being held up? Court using their discretion. I, or, well, or a judge exercising their discretion and that being something that... Like the Miller case? Yeah, yeah, good well, example. Yeah, well, the, the Miller case is, is a case in Massachusetts that uh, was my case. I argued in front of the uh, SJC, the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts, that was a child uh, custody and removal action. Mm -hmm. And in that case, uh, the judge, taking a look at the sort of the baseline facts of what was actually going on, yeah. determined who was the primary custodial um, functioning uh, parent and applied a, that criteria to her request for wanting to take her child and, and move um, from the United States and Massachusetts to Germany. And the court upheld her discretion to do that because she had analyzed it under the rubric of our current law 
and also applying a best interest of the child standard and found that how she analyzed it and how she analyzed the facts in that case uh, was in, within her discretion to do so and allowed her to remove to, with her child to Germany. So why, why should someone appeal? Uh, it's a great question. I, I, I think if I, my book has a theme, it's that most of the time you should not appeal. Most of the time, there are other avenues or remedies to successfully correct or fix a adverse judgment. Uh, and the times that you do appeal should really be limited to those times when there's an interesting area of law that the court hasn't ruled on. There's a split in authority uh, between judges or between other appellate uh, courts if the state is, is large enough. Or the judge's plane got it wrong, and it's just so uh, outrageous that it sort of you know screams for for justice. You know, I talk about the word appeal at the beginning of the book. The word appeal means an urgent plea, and I emphasized that in the book as sort of the theme throughout. That when you do appeal, it really should be a matter that is just urgent and that requires correction by a higher court, and it's your only alternative uh, to seek justice and to fix uh, a wrong that the lower court uh, has committed. So would you ever, I mean, what is your suggestion? Would you ever say someone should uh, try to appeal representing themselves or being pro se? Or Well, I think they should call um, attorney Matthew Barack, myself, or uh, Kirsten DeMoga at BarrackFamilyLaw.com, B-A-R-A-C-H, FamilyLaw.com. No, I I think that it is behooves most people um, with an adverse judgment because the complexity of the appellate courts and, and the, the practice uh, that it's a specialty. And I think that you have to sort of know the land. And I think if you can, it's far better off to have an attorney um, represent you in an appeal if you can afford it than, than not. I think that if it's a novel issue and finances are uh, difficult, there are appellate attorneys that might look at it. I, I am often approached to do appeals that you know may not have the, the funds, but if it's an interesting issue, I think people will do it. I also think that there are low-interest law groups and organizations that would consider um, doing an appeal if it had sort of a, a magnitude that could change something in the law. Um, but if you can't, and if it's really just about you and, and your spouse and the judge got it wrong, I think you can use this book in some ways to help you guide uh, you through the uh, intricacies of the appellate courts. So what are your tips? What are what are the, you know, your suggestions on how to go about this? About filing? Well, I think that uh, the first thing you have to do is really understand the record in your case, which means you need to make sure that you have uh, gone out and gotten the transcripts and the, the, the judgment and the underlying pleadings that led to the judgment and really take a, a good objective look as to what the decision is and if it jibes with the facts and in the law that is presented in your particular case. And I think you really, you know, in the book I talk about everything beginning and ending with the record. And the record is everything that 
goes into the case. Uh, it's every piece of paper. It's every uh, hearing. And I think you really have to understand the record and then see really if it makes sense. If you put yourself in the shoes of a judge objectively, was that the right decision or was it not? And if it was not, why? And if it's compelling enough, then I think you can you can seek an appeal. But everything always starts and ends um, with the record and the facts and then a review of the law that's in play in a particular matter. What about some common pitfalls? Uh, I think sometimes people, the, the biggest one I, I find is that people that aren't familiar with appellate practice, they'll try to file a motion for a remedy uh, like, such as a new trial or or a um, to uh, alter or amend the judgment and those type of um, those type of motions stay the operation of the, the appeal so in other words what I always tell people is if you file uh, a timely filed motion and at the same time you file your notice of appeal at the same time. So you go to court, you file what's called a notice of appeal, and you also file a motion to stay, not stay the judgment, a motion to alter, amend the judgment, or a motion for a new trial, which most people, uh, a lot of people will file if they're upset with their decision. What happens in the law is once the court rules on that motion for a new trial or that motion to alter, amend the judgment, that invalidates your a notice of appeal that you filed within it's usually 30 days to file an appeal from the docketed date of judgment. So that decision in your alter to amend the judgment motion, which is denied, or the motion for a new trial is denied, there is no appeal. It extinguishes that appeal notice that you filed. You must file a new notice of appeal, which becomes the notice of appeal within 30 days after disposition of those motions. It's a federal rule and it's followed pretty much by every state. So I, I've, I've had cases where I've had appeals knocked out because the other side failed to properly file notice of appeal. So tech, technicalities in appellate practice are real. It's not the same kind of technicalities you receive in the probate court. The probate court will bend over backwards to help people because it's a court of equity. When you get up to the appellate courts, if you do not follow the rules and you do not monitor them and understand them and follow them closely in your practice, your appeal can be lost before you wow. can add your day in court. Interesting. So that's why it's very important, I think, to find someone that is familiar with appellate practice. And I'm hoping that the Family Law Guide to Appellate Practice will enable people to have a better understanding uh, of doing an appeal and also enable some people that might not have the funds for a lawyer to be able to understand the issues uh, that they need to think about as they're preparing and ultimately filing an appeal. Was there anything that new that you learned in researching and preparing this book that surprised you? I think the biggest surprise was in, in researching the book is that a lot of the stuff that we do uh, fed into the book. That that you know when we we look at like for example, um, because of the broad discretion appellate courts give and defer to probate court judges, it reminded us and reminded me of the importance of making sure that you have a a good understanding of the facts and that you argue them. Um, clearly and articulated, get your your case across, and then it's only in sort of limited you know circumstances where there is a narrow issue of law or a novel issue of law, or a judge has really gone off the deep end of the law 
or the facts, they got them you know, they completely wrong, where you, you respond to that urgent plea and you file an appeal. So, so being careful and being cautious and understanding facts in the law are sort of job one. And I think that a lot of this, the information that I researched and read in the preparation of, of writing the Family Law Guide to Appellate Practice, I find that both, you know, we apply that to our practice every day today, whether we're doing an appeal or not. All right. Great. So there you go. Happy so you reading. Can find, yeah, thank you. So happy reading. Did you read it yet? I'm working on it. All right. So this brings a, a, new, a, new, a new problem I have that's come up about the book. We can switch topics now that uh, onions and peppers and peppers <laughs> and onions is over. A lot of people want me to give them the book for free. Interesting. I, you know, I only get a handful of copies of, of this right, book. Right. So do you think I should set up a criteria for who is deserving of a free book? I mean, I get a discounted copy. If you call yeah. me and say, listen, I want to give you 100 bucks. For, my book is selling, I think, for $139 wow. or something. On Yeah, it is. Hotcakes. Yeah, I'm saying. Something like hotcakes. Even if you're, if you're a member of the family law section, maybe, yeah. I think you get a, a slight discount. So for you know people like that, yeah. I think it's 110 bucks, And I get a discounted, you know, I, I, had a, I get a certain number of books. Right. And then I had to buy a bunch more. But I keep getting requests for the book. They're like, can I have one? Like I a client the other day say, in the office. I want a book. Them, just direct them to the. But then they didn't get offended. I'm like, it's a hundred bucks. It is what it is. You don't get think what I should get, get what you pay for? <laughs> so you don't think I should give them away for free? <laughs> no, I don't. Really? No. no. I got two emails. Oh, I saw that you wrote a book in Lawyers Weekly. Just send. I, the I'd link. like a book. Send the link. They said, Where, "Where's my copy?" No. I mean, you got a copy, and the yeah, and dog got that's a copy. Different. <laughs> she got. She needs a copy, but both of us got a copy. But, but. I don't know. I feel like I'm giving away the milk for free. Yeah, no, can't do that. Direct them to the link. That's what I said. So if I get an email or a text, I'd like to copy your book. I just send the link. Send the link. Don't yeah. even say anything. <laughs> That's what I would do. Really? Yeah. That's not too cold. People aren't no. going to be offended by that. No. Say sure. <laughs> See <you> below. <laughs> What if I tell them to send me a check for hundred bucks? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then the address. Say I could get it at a discounted rate of X. If you want me to order it for you. Well, oh, that's cold. All right. Well, I'll try to do that. It is what it is. It's hard. All right. Now it's time for the news. Okay. All right. So this was interesting. Did you hear about Nick Cage? No. Did you know he, he just his marriage just got annulled? Well, doesn't surprise me. We just got Nick. This is on a, I don't know, TMZ or something. This is, this is just from today. We just got Nick's annulment docs, and they're really something. He says he, him and Erica were wasted when they decided to get Hitch. Okay. Nick said Erica suggested Nick that they should marry, and Nick reacting on impulse, so without the ability to recognize or understand the full impact of his actions, got married. He says his marriage was a fraud because Erica didn't disclose the full nature and extent of her relationship with another person. He also says she didn't disclose her criminal history, and he justifies the annulment by saying they had such conflict in personalities and dispositions that they are so deep as to render the two incompatible in marriage. What do you think? Fraud. <laughs> no, I mean, fraud is, is... Fraud is fraud. Fraud is fraud. What, what's an annulment? Real quick. Educate our listeners. Well, essentially, when the court determines that the marriage for, for any... There's multiple reasons um, is essentially... Extinguished, for lack of a better word, that right. it never existed. So here, it's it, it might be likely that uh, Erica might still be married. married. Yeah. Right. 
That's probably what she says, the full nature and extent of her relationship with another person. Right. Criminal history, I don't know if that we could buy well, that. Well, she's Not going into fraud, so. Would you represent Nick Cage? Or yeah, I would. Yeah, I've done a couple of annulments. They're interesting. Yeah, you like annulments? <laughs> They're not they're that easy. They're, no, but they're, it's usually that's what easier. I mean. It's, it's an interesting area of the law. Yeah. They're usually, it's usually easier. I've, had, I've, I've told people that because of the burden of proving fraud, that sometimes it's just it's better just to yeah. do a 1A marriage. Right. But, but sometimes the they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. What about this? Do you know this person? Married at first sight's Jason Carrion confirms divorce after fairy tale love story. Did you see this? No, no, I did that. Do you know who that I is? I don't know this love at first sight thing. You don't know? No, I don't know that show. Well, we were approached to represent somebody on that show. Oh, did, you, did you know that? No, we didn't. I did not. Yeah, I think I don't think they ever got picked, but uh, yeah. So you don't. They these. I guess these. They put them together at first sight. They got married, and six months later they divorced. <laughs> what do you think of the life at first sight? Is that something? This that's, sounds. The show or, or the show? You think that's a good show, bad show? Is uh, it, what do you think? I think it's all, you know, for ratings. I think it's, it's real. Rating. You don't think people it's that want to get famous. Yeah. So it's a fraud marriage. It's a fraud. Well, they, fraud but that's not an element. No. Interesting. So there's another one. One final story. A San Diego woman woman wins child support from ex-husband nearly 50 years after divorce. Wow. A North San Diego County woman was awarded child support from her ex-husband nearly 50 years after she says he left her with a young daughter. She makes no apologies for going after the deadbeat ex for having to raise their three-year-old daughter all on her own. Um, her ex-husband chose to go to Canada rather than pay court-ordered child support in the early 70s. She put it on the back burner when she saw child support, which she received. Wow. No, no limit on statute of limitations on uh, seeking child support, I guess, in California. Wow, that's amazing. Interesting. Do you agree with that? It's a windfall. 50 years? No, that's, I, no, I don't agree with that. You don't? You think there should be some form of statute of limitations on Or at least it's defensible. It. Yeah. That'd be a good appeal. Going well, back it's to like appeal that court. other appeal. Yeah, so, so that guy should read, what he should do is that guy got that adverse judgment, should read the family law guy <laughs> yeah, to appellate exactly. practice yeah. and try to get out of that. Right. So that's what I would do. So you've been listening today to... Uh, Attorney Matthew Barrick and Attorney Kirsten DeMoga. We are from Barrick Law Group. You can find us at B-A-R-A-C-H FamilyLaw.com or you can call us at 888-209-7080. That's 888-209-7080. We'd be glad to answer any of your questions regarding a divorce or uh, child custody or other topics in family law. And Kirsten, you want to read the plugs? Sure. So if you enjoyed listening to this, Please share with a friend or colleague. You can subscribe to this on iTunes, and you can find all the episodes at pod617.com. And we'll see you next week. Have a good day, everybody. It's a mistake. If it's a mistake, it's a mistake.